It was just the script because he told me, you know, when I gave it to him, he said, look, I don't really play villains. Uh, you know, it's unlikely that I'll do this. And then uh, I went to bed. I sent it to him and I went to bed. And then in the morning, he had left me a voicemail in the voice of the grabber reading one of the lines from the script. And when I heard that, I knew that that was his way of telling me he was going to do it. I just think that he read it and, and realized that there was a, a, a challenge in it that I think he wanted to take on. And I think the challenge was specifically to play a role that is performed behind a mask, because I think the brilliance of what he does is that he lets the mask do the work of the mask. He lets the mask be scary, and he lets it be menacing, he lets it be sadistic, it's all those things. And somehow he's able to bring all these interesting nuances from behind that mask in the iterations of his voice, in, 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 in this, this kind of performer, magician gestures that he does. Uh, he just somehow had uh, an ability to create a very complex character um, without a backstory, without a lot of information, and uh, that's that's what great actors do. I don't think strategically, oh, I'll do this commercial thing, and then I'll do this more independent thing. I just, each film, I think, if I only get to make one more movie, is it this movie? I'll make it like it's the, my last film I'll ever make, because one day it will be. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin. Hello. Hi, Trent. Follow us on Instagram at SpeakAllEvilPod. A couple announcements before we get going this week. We are uh, getting ready for the second Speak All Evil Presents film screening. We are going to be taking it up and out to the rooftop at Bayside Bowl in Portland, Maine, July 21st, 8.30 p.m. It's a free event. We're going to be screening the 1982 George Romero, Stephen King collaborative horror anthology film, Creepshow. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and secondly, a little programming note, this is going to be our last Friday publish. We've been publishing new episodes every Friday since we started the podcast. Um, but we're going to be changing that to um, Monday or maybe Tuesday if it's a holiday on Monday. Kevin, what do you think about that? I thought it was Wednesday. Uh, nope, we're going to record on Wednesday. We're going to publish on Monday or Tuesday. I have no idea what's going on. Okay. All right. Well, uh, at any rate, this will be our tell, last. Tell me where to be. Tell me where to be <laughs> and what to talk about. I got you there. Tomorrow night we're doing the next episode. You know that, right? I do now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow night, eight or eight thirty remote. That's my week. My episode. The. Um... Um, Baskin and Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. We're recording that tomorrow night. Thank you. So this will be our last Friday episode, and this will be followed uh, within a few days, uh, and we'll get to a new, like, early week schedule. Won't interrupt the program, of course. That's why Kevin and I are the only ones here, because uh, the way things worked out, we had a chance to, the two of us, to go see The Black Phone. What do we think? Well, first of all, it was nice, Trent, to go and sit in a movie theater with you uh, at yeah. a normal time of day. I I have been known to just flat out fall asleep. I will pay money for movies like I am paying for a nap. 
I largely stayed away from knowing anything about this movie because one, Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, based on a short story by him that I had never read. Two, the trailers like early on were like re- like really seemed to like be giving a lot away. It's doing bonkers at the box office. It's already up to like thirty eight million on a budget of like sixteen million, uh, which. Honestly, like sixteen million for this movie seems a bit much. I think they were paying for Ethan Hawke, and that's not dissing the movie in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but it's it's a period piece. It's set in nineteen seventy eight, and it tells the story of the Grabber, a serial killer that is just plucking kids up off the street. And you are introduced to our friends Finney and Gwendolyn, who are brother and sister, and they are both very concerned with what's going on in their town. Uh, as apparently our parents and police. Uh, however, Finney and Gwendolyn seem to be tracking the case better. Um, Finney ends up getting grabbed by the grabber, and we go on a tale of a kid trapped in a basement where there's a black phone. Pretty literal title. It's hooked up to nothing. It's an old-school rotary landline phone. And Finney starts to get phone calls on this phone from the grabber's past victims. So what is happening is they're trying to communicate with him to help him in his situation. The film's directed by Scott Derrickson, which uh, my first Scott Derrickson film was The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Uh, And then he would go on to do Sinister, which I'm a huge fan of. I I think that Sinister is actually a a very well-done modern horror movie. Um, but Derrickson's probably best known from blowing up after he did the first Doctor Strange movie. So he got himself into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and made quite a name for himself. However, during the Doctor Strange 2 filming, he ended up exiting. And he ended up with the black phone, which I thought was great. And he actually took his writer, Robert Cargill, with him. So Cargill, who wrote the first Doctor Strange and Sinister... Uh, He and Derrickson have a long history together. Uh, He actually exited that project as well and ended up writing uh, The Black Phone. In my opinion, this was a great modern horror movie. I didn't think this would have like super rewatchability. I I actually think it does now. Um, It got me a few times. I jumped out of my seat a few times. But mostly, I think my favorite part of this movie was um, the emotions, like the, 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 the kid... The kids that play Finney and Gwendolyn absolutely crush it. Ethan Hawke as the grabber is super effective. Everyone else kind of, you know, side note or stock character, not quite as good. But I think that this is a a solid modern horror flick. Again, they keep like making us have horror movies set back in the 70s or 80s so they can get around the technological aspect of it. But this one was good. It was like a... Stand By Me, The Shining, um, a million movies that that we can talk about that it pulls from, but I think they did it well. It's a good homage with a nice original twist. I thought this was sort of like um, It meets John Wayne Gacy. Um, You know, this is a a rare one for me because I really, really enjoyed watching this movie. I had a great time um, just being in the theater and 
this worked really well. I felt like for that format, I I felt like it was engrossing. It looks amazing. This is a really great looking movie. The the seventies stuff looked great. Um, it was very uh, Days and Confused was a movie that came up for me a lot. Yeah, yeah. You and mentioned this one, that, even yeah. like down to the soundtrack. Like I think they had like even like one of the same songs in there. This was one though that I could have used more of. You know, I think that this could have been really great. I think it's good. Uh, I don't think it's great. I'm looking for 20 more minutes of this movie. It's an hour and 40. Um, I thought there was so much stuff that was set up in this that was set up well that I was really into. And I was actually kind of surprised when it got toward the end. I was like, all right, I mean, I guess that's it. We're, Which is pleasant in one way. I like a briskly paced film, but I just I feel like there's 20 more minutes of this movie somewhere that could make it something a, a little bit more it's just it seems like kind of slight to me for a for a thriller a supernatural thriller studios they don't typically want to see a horror movie go you know two two and a half hours or anything like that you mentioned it which those are pretty long flicks yeah, yeah. i think that's kind of an outlier and again this is based on a short story that i have not read uh admittedly so not i don't know what no. source i don't know what source material they had to go with but i agree with you it's a sneaky hour 42 or whatever. It really is. Uh, it yeah. goes by fast. And honestly, a lot of times, you know, to pull off a movie that doesn't really give you any horror until, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes in. There's not that you know, much horror overall. I mean, I think that's no, but, this is more of a this but, is really not a horror movie. It's a thriller. It's a supernatural thriller. Um, it's. But I, no, I'm, I'm, agree- I'm, I'm agreeing with you that I could have used like 20 minutes. And honestly, in either direction, you don't get to ever know who the grabber is. You don't, you don't know any of the motives. So this is like a, a Michael Myers light situation where you get to see some of his life, but it's not like none of the motives are exposed or explained. There's very little exposition in this movie there are a ton of scenes where you like as a genre fan you think you're about to get like a massive exposition dump and then you get nothing and i'm curious like would the movie have been better with more of like the 70s ish like i'm going to keep referring to it as like the stand by me portions of the movie because it reminded me so much of uh the kids stuff reminded me so much of like any Stephen King movie where there's like a group of kids or like a kid heavy bond. Um, could I have used more of that or could I have used more uh, backstory on certain characters? I don't know, but I will agree. I would have taken it and I don't know if it would have cheapened the movie for me or like enriched it. Yeah. Well, a lot of that stuff that you're talking about a lot of times in movies is indulgent and, and unearned. When you have too much exposition, when you have a movie that I love long movies, I have no problem with long movies. Some of my favorite movies are long, you know, but it's my problem is that so many movies don't really justify being long. They come off to me more as indulgent and overdone and bloated and unnecessary than they come off as, you know, effective. So it's just it's rare that I think this movie earned those things. This movie could have done you know, I don't need um, motive that much. I mean, it's a serial grabber, you know. Um, we all know the motives. But, like, the whole thing with his brother, 
seemed like something that, oh, I thought we were going to develop some sort of storyline there. I mean, it's um, a pretty strange situation, something that when you see in a movie, you think you're going to learn something more about that is going to be tied to other things connected to that. Um, and the same with um, with the kids who are all great in it. And, and I loved all the stuff uh, with their classmates. And of course, you know, you have the psychic powers going on. Like, I just felt like this was one that could have justified a longer running time, and it could have really gotten much more into so many of the things that it seemed like it was going to set up that just kind of was like, eh, we're getting to the end here. Overall, uh, the best parts of the movie, you called it light horror, psych thriller, like whatever. The best parts of the movie, honestly, and the most emotional parts of the movie are the kids and non-horror situations. So you feel for Finney, who has been captured and is being just kept in this basement, but it's interesting to me that Derrickson like would never cross certain lines. So he did get this to rated R, uh, which I appreciate. But I honestly, this is like, I can't believe I'm going to say this. This is one of the few rated R horror movies that I would have been fine with being PG-13 and getting more time out of. And I bet it, it's doing well at the box office, like I said. But I bet it would have even expanded audiences. Because honestly... Like you said, the stuff at school, the kids, the friends, the bullying, the bond between Finney and Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn's, you know, psychic powers. And again, all this is in the trailer. Um, you get Finn, all of Finn's, that. Uh, Finn's friendship with the martial artist kid that can, like, kick anyone's ass in the whole school that protects Amazing. Finn. Amazing. Like, that, that's never, you know, nothing is done with that. That's just kind of thrown away. He's just another kid on the black phone. You know? Well, no, they they throw it away. Like, the exposition lines are, like, one-offs. There's no, like, preaching to us. So, like, like his, his explanation for being friends and defending Finn is, what are you doing later tonight? My math score is down. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like two lines. There's a whole procedural, uh, a, a crime procedural, like, seven type thing going on in this with the detectives. That's never really, they don't really do much with that either. I, I would have expected a kind of three and four way thing with the detectives and there's a guy in the neighborhood who's trying to solve the crimes. I thought for sure we were going to learn much more about that. Um, the sister I thought would be communicating. I mean, why is the sister a psychic, but she can't get on the black phone? I mean, I really thought as soon as I saw the phone that, okay, his sister has psychic powers. Certainly she will be calling at some point. On the black phone, that never uh, happened. I mean, I'll forgive that one because the black phone seems to be reserved for people who were previously killed by the right. grabber. Okay, true. It's the dead. All right. And, and and the girl is young. She is Her father is not happy that she is starting to exhibit signs of having this power. She is praying to Jesus in some weird dollhouse. Like, she doesn't understand her powers. There's a lot of unexplained powers going on. I don't know what Joe Hill wrote again. So I'm not, I am, this is in no way a criticism. It's The Shining. Joe Hill wrote a short story and then optioned the rights to a movie. Derrickson and Cargill came in and said, you know what we can do? We can make Joe Hill's The Shining. It seemed like he was, it seemed like Hill was pretty involved in this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I would believe that as well. I'm just saying it doesn't take much to get an executive producer label slapped onto a movie. Uh, True, but he's the writer of the short story as well. I thought it was interesting that Derrickson, you know, after entering, you know, the MCU and having 
just a wild movie like Doctor Strange, which I love the Marvel movies. I think it's super interesting that we had somebody who directed Doctor Strange 1 leave for creative differences and then to bring in Sam Raimi to take his place for the latest Doctor Strange movie. Um, And I also thought it was interesting that Derrickson, after having what I perceive to be unlimited funds for a Marvel movie, uh, to go all the way back to his roots, which he revisits a lot of things that happen in Sinister in this movie. He goes back to flashback scenes and cut scenes like the home movies that Ethan Hawke, who is the protagonist in in Sinister, uh, finds in that movie. Um, He revisits a lot of the same things. Uh, Ghostly Kids is a big part of Sinister, and that's a big part of the Black Phone. Um, He sort of, like, goes back to a lot of that. Like, I feel like Derrickson uh, feels comfortable in the horror genre and has, like, a certain story that he wants to tell in a certain narrative and style um, and this one surprised me because uh, I, I love Sinister, like I said. I actually think that Sinister 2 is also a, a pretty good horror flick. Um, and this one made me curious. Like, I want to know what this guy does next. Uh, and if he kind of continues, like, the, his same stylistic approach. Because this is very, very similar to uh, his first few forays into horror. I could have used more Ethan Hawke. Um, another thing, like he never really gets there. the chance to, I mean, this is very kind of, I would in some ways call this also a, a silence of the lambs junior situation, but Hawk really never gets the kind of opportunity that Anthony Hopkins gets. He never really gets that character in this and you don't really spend enough time with him. He's kind of in and out and what's there is great, but that's one of the best parts of the movie. And, and even that to me was, you know, was underdone. I, I, I could have gone for more scenes between he and Finney. You know, they didn't really interact that much. Um, yeah, they, they, they never get to play Naughty Boy. No, <laughs> no. They, he kind of, you know, that was one thing that was weird is that the grabber, once he grabs you, it's a very low security situation. I mean, he's not paying any attention to what, his prisoner is doing down there. His prisoner is doing all kinds of stuff. Grabber doesn't even, you know, doesn't even notice, doesn't pay any attention to what, what's going on in, with his prisoner. No, it's he's, true, he's, buddy. He's breaking through walls. He's digging holes. He's pulling out, you know, uh, window gates. I mean. I will say that Ethan Hawke, for what he's given, does an amazing job. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, large, yeah. Largely throughout the movie, his, he's covered in this creepy mask. And the mask actually changes so he has a a top part that stays pretty consistent throughout the movie and then his bottom part of this creepy mask can change and it starts like all smiley and then sort of like pay attention if you if you haven't seen the movie and you go see it pay attention to how the bottom part of the mask change but throughout the movie he's sometimes wearing the top half and no bottom half and then vice versa so Ethan Hawke has to act either with the bottom part of his face or his eyes, um, his voice. He's actually pretty impressive. And I will say now that you mentioned it, Trent, he does have like a little Pennywise tendencies to like ha- his yeah. affects and how he delivers some of his lines. But I will agree with you. I could have used a little bit more. And again, I don't know if that's extra time in the hour 40 that we were given or if that's a situation where 
I could have used two hours, two hours, 20 minutes to do this. I can't, I can't believe I'm finally admitting that I'd like a movie to be 20 to 40 minutes longer. Yeah, same. That's the thing. And I, you know, I say that from um, a stance of really enjoying the movie. Like I really liked what was there. It just wasn't enough to me. And it, it kind of diminished. I could have used way more Hawk than as much uh, Jeremy Davies as was in this movie. I didn't think he was the most convincing, like, She's just kind of ham, going real ham with it, plays the abusive father, um, Finn and Gwen's abusive dad, you know, again, straight out of it. Kind of, He's almost like doing a caricature of an it parent, I thought. Yeah, he's and basically And he was in it more than it. the grabber. Yeah, no, that's a good point. There were a few scenes in this movie where I, I flat out cried. He was, and well, yeah, because he's the most brutal. And, it, and maybe that's like, horrible. I guess. horrible. That, maybe that's kind of part of what, you know the movie is doing, but the, the the dad, from what you're shown, is worse than the grabber. I mean, obviously the dad, you know, the grabber is a serial killer, but you don't see the grabber do anything nearly as bad as what they show the dad do. No, and I, I, I think that's I have, maybe I, part I, of the the thing they're going for. I didn't I didn't go down the rabbit hole, but I did see some articles. Some of them said that Derrickson pulled a lot of this from his own childhood experience. So there could be like a little more there as to why we saw Jeremy Davies as much as we did and as horrifically as we did. I felt um, at quite a few different points during watching The Black Phone. I I feel like watching a Joe Hill adaptation is very similar to watching a Brandon Cronenberg movie. We've talked about Possession and Antiviral, the two of us. Um, Possessor. Possessor, yes. Sorry. Um Two very different movies. Don't apologize. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of, you know, in the same way that when you watch a, a Brandon Cronenberg movie, and I absolutely love both of those movies. They're amazing. They're original and they're fresh. There's there's nothing that seems derivative about them and they're exciting, but it's just inex- it's inescapable that, you know, that, that feeling is still there. And that's kind of how I, I felt watching this movie. Like it was... Everything about it was so Stephen King, and that's that's not a bad thing because I I think again I think it is an original concept, but um, it, it was interesting the similarity. Otherwise, there would be nothing in common, you know. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if uh, Joe Hill is going to reach the point where I thought in the beginning that he he did a great job. He made a great decision on going with the name Joe Hill, and. I think we're we're seeing the point where he can't outrun his relationship with his father anymore. He did the Stephen King. He and his father co-wrote the book that uh, in the Tall Grass. That's on Netflix. It's a Netflix yeah. original. Yeah, didn't love that one. He, he he even escaped that. I I liked it a lot more. I mean, than, I don't. I think it's a good thing. Dave did. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not um, criticizing it, but I, I I think it's awesome. I I don't think there's any problem with it. It's just like. It's there. I mean, the son is just not that far from the father. I, w- I will say there's a lot of good Joe Hill stuff out there. I know, Trent, that you revisited Horns and you didn't think it held up like as well as when you first had seen it. I disagree. I think that the oh. book and the show Nosferatu are outstanding. Yeah. I think Lock and Key is super solid. I can place him outside of you know, the realm of his dad. Um, but this movie, the black phone pulled me firmly back in and reminded me, Oh, you're Stephen King's kid. 
But I don't know if that's his fault or if it's Cargill and Derrickson's fault. I don't think it's anyone's fault. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, it just is is notable. So you, you know, you're, you're, I guess I guess comparisons are inevitable. Hey, this is a lot better than a lot of Stephen King adaptations. I can say that easily. Yeah, that's true. If this, if yeah, actually, if this, if this, you know what? It's, that's kind of funny. If this were, what if this were a Stephen King adaptation? From like uh, a, a kind of a uh, a B side off of a Skeleton Crew or something. I was just gonna say it's like probably, nightmares uh, and dreamscapes or something. Like we'd probably we'd probably say this was like one of the best um, Stephen King adaptations of recent years, right? Fair. That's a great point. I like this better than 1922. Better than Gerald's Game. Better than In the Tall Grass. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. It could have been in the league of Zodiac, something like that. You had all the makings to me. This was a really good movie, but it didn't rise. To, it, it, this is nowhere near the category of a seven of Zodiac, and I'm, I'm not even the biggest seven fan, but just in that sort of realm. Um, Silence of the Lambs, even like Manhunter, this could have been something like that, and uh, I think for some reason it just didn't want to. I think I know the reason. It's Derrickson wasn't willing to cross a certain line. Yeah. So the the violence, everything horror is implied. It's never shown. Yeah. So I think there was a line that he had, and 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 it, like I said earlier, like it it confuses me why he wanted this to be rated R, when he wouldn't cross certain lines. This could have been on par with those movies if you had. Uh, some yeah, but those of the aren't scenes that gory. are hinted I mean, that or those implied. aren't like gory horror movies, though. Those are just better, meatier, more involved, you know, suspense thriller movies. It's not like those are, you know, some kind of like horror fest or anything. No, that's a good point. But I think I think like the fantastical approach. Those movies didn't have like a fantastical approach. They didn't have a supernatural, right? Yes. So this this leaned on that to scare you rather than be like, here's what happened to me. You know, those yeah, movies yeah, yeah. I mean, I would dis I would disagree. Like in Silence of the Lambs, dude, like they're they're maybe maybe they don't show you what Buffalo Bill does, but they show you what Buffalo Bill did, like on, you know, a coroner's table and things like that. You know, this one stays away from anything to do with any of that and it shows yeah. you ghost ghostly hopefuls that have a little bit of blood on their face yeah and they just like imply everything well i think he he decided not to cross the line of having a better fuller story and movie that's the only line i i don't care if he has dead kids bodies or if he has snuff tapes in the attic I, it doesn't matter to me what line he crosses but the reason it's not as good as those classic thriller movies i think is and maybe the the supernatural thing is kind of a a, a crutch and it, maybe it cuts both ways i think because it is a supernatural thriller you never have to explain anything we don't know why the voices call the black forward i mean it's just a thing that happens why did you know the sister has psychic powers like you can know you just always have all these little kind of ghosts in the machine that 
Um, don't call for the kind of explanations and the kind of like follow up that movies like Zodiac or Manhunter. Um, you don't have you, you can't just say like, ah, it was a ghost, you know, who knows? And maybe that leads you in, in more interesting story directions, whereas this just kind of it has the uh, the luxury of just not exploring that. But I think in the end, it makes for a less interesting story. You're right. But I think you're right only because we're just soaked in true crime horror. So everything that you just cited, like Zodiac and Manhunt, like those are all rooted in real stories. So should we be judging the black phone against things like that because it's trying to do something and not just go procedural? Like the black phone could have gone... We're going to have like those two detectives. We're going to have the kid get stolen. We're going to have the grabber. We're going to have weird guys studying the case. We're going to figure, we're going to profile him. We're going to figure it out. We're going to, and then we're going to give you all of the backstory on this person. That's kind of, you know, I mean, you're kind of shoehorning this into, is it not as well, good because it's sure. not like super, it's not going to be on an episode of like my favorite murder. But I will give you that. Would it have been better if it split the difference a little bit better? That I would engage in a debate on. Like, this is the great debate of, do you want more or less information about the supernatural powers? Do you want more or less information on the grabber? Like, do you want more or less information on the detectives? Because let's be honest, like, these guys are not good at their jobs. Um... I don't know. There's, there's, I think there's a line to draw here on where you're judging this film. Um, I don't want more information necessarily or backstory or anything like that. Just the difference between um, the, the Hannibal Lecter character in Silence of the Lambs and the difference between the grabber in this is one is like uh, really involved and present and is a, a classic thriller performance and classic character and then one is kind of like not really filled out that much and he's not in the movie that much he comes in he says a couple things you know goes away anthony hopkins won the academy award on screen for like 14 minutes there's no like there's no more or less involvement like he literally uh, okay. won the academy well, award for best actor in well it's not a matter of, i then mean, it's not a matter of minutes i guess it's just a matter of the content there were 14 much better minutes uh, and much okay, more fleshed yes. out, so to speak, yes. minutes, uh, more effective minutes than the 20 minutes that the grabber was in this. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify. I, appre- I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's quality. <laughs> you were you know, making it, you it's, were it's making it sound quality. like Hannibal Lecter was dancing around this movie. No, no, yeah, no. I, just, it's, it's a question of quality. It's not quantity. It's not backstory it's not details but um you know it's, it's this writing, won't be it's right i don't think in 10 years this is not going to be i don't think this is a classic it's good i don't think this is like an essential supernatural thriller no no that's not the that's not the debate we're having right now but to your point it's writing and editing yeah i wonder how much more they filmed i, I wonder what what was on the cutting room floor of this i have no idea there's stuff in the trailer if you watch like the and and don't if you haven't seen the movie, there's a three-minute trailer that they released that basically lays out the movie in chronological order. There's no suspense. There's no misdirection. And in the trailer, 
there are scenes that are not in the movie. How, how about this? Do you think it's better or worse than The Innocence that we talked about a couple weeks ago? Because that was another one it kind of reminded me of with the kids. We've been see- I feel like we've been seeing a lot of kids with paranormal abilities. I think it's in a different category. Like you're going for um, yeah. like minimalistic, like foreign horror, which in my brain exists like in a different world. I'm judging the black phone by like modern American horror. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably put him about on par as movies that I thought were really good and that I, I really enjoyed watching, um, but then just kind of left me wanting at the end, which doesn't happen that often. I wanted more of this just like I kind of wanted more of that one. Yeah, I, mean, I guess where, where I would give The Innocence a nod is I like this. I think the director was kind of going for like this like modern... Uh, you know, foreign horror take on like a superhero movie. This could have easily been the anti-hero origin story. This could, this is almost like a, a Joker type origin story, even down to like you don't actually have to see him, you know, hurt any kids. Really, Th- this guy could easily go up against Daredevil anytime. Yeah, and there's a character that I, I don't want to say what the relation is or whatever that could have fit into that fucking perfectly. Perfectly.